The Road to Rock Podcast. Welcome to the Road to Rock Podcast. I'm Elisa Marsden, and this is the podcast that goes behind the scenes of the rock music industry. Today, on the 30th of April, we should be pitching our tents and getting ready to spend the weekend rocking out in a field to the likes of Skindred, The Fratellis, and Terrorvision at Teddy Rocks Festival. But thanks to the pandemic, Teddy Rocks has been rolled over for the second year running to 2022. Teddy Rocks is a UK charity festival held at Charisworth Farm in Blandford, Dorset. It's one of the first music festivals of the year and it raises money for Teddy 20, a charity set up to help children and young people fighting cancer. The charity was set up by the Newton family in memory of their son Ted after he passed away at just 10 years old from a rare form of bone cancer called Ewing sarcoma. Tom Newton, Ted's older brother, is the man responsible for starting Teddy Rocks Festival, which started out as a small gig amongst friends and family in a pub in 2011, raising £400 for their charity. Over the years, it has grown into a huge three-day event which has seen the Darkness, Feeder, Ash, the Hoosiers, Twin Atlantic and the Zootons take to the stage. I caught up with Tom a few weeks ago to chat about how things are looking for Teddy Rocks 2022 and hear the amazing story of how Teddy Rocks has grown into one of the hottest festivals on the UK music scene. Tom's bonus episode of Fishbowl Roulette is straight after his interview. The Road to Rock. Thank you so much for taking the time out to do this. That's all right, no worries. No problem. I will say, before we start, um, I'm on call with the fire service, so if this thing makes a noise and I run out, please don't be offended or think I'm just weird. So bloody rude. <laughs> no, how, dare, how dare they, some people. Let's crack on then, in case you get called out. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So, Teddy Rocks has gotten bigger and bigger. 2020 was supposed to be the 10th year for yeah. you guys. How did it all start out? Yeah, so it started on sort of rubbish circumstances, really. So I, I lost my little brother, Ted, to cancer. And he was um, 10 years old and he, he passed away in 2010. Um, yeah, it was, it was rubbish. It was, it was brutal, as all cancer is. And it was, it was horrible to see that firsthand, especially in a child, especially a little brother. You know, it was pretty, pretty rubbish. Um, I, I played a band, played guitar. Uh, I was at uni at the time doing music tech. It was kind of all I sort of knew what to do, really. I worked a few local events, sort of had my foot in the door with a few sort of, not always music events, really, just being outdoors and helping at different sort of things going on. And um, my dad decided he was going to climb Kilimanjaro. Uh, Bloody hell. All right. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm going to go and climb Kilimanjaro. I was like, you're not. You're, you're fat. You're old. You're going to die. You can't do that. And he was like, no, I'm going to do it. And I was like, all right, fair play. And he bloody did it. He went and raised sort of like £11,000, I think. It could have been more, actually. And yeah, he did it. But why I thought, you know, I'll help him. So I thought, I'll put a gig on at the pub to raise a little bit of money towards his pot, sort of thing, help him out. So um, I used to be in another band and we were like a post-hardcore emo, pretty much a rip-off funeral for a friend band. Like, yeah, quite tragic, really, on reflection. But uh, oh, I used to love it. And I was like, right, we're going to put a gig on at our pub, the Greyhound in Blanford, which is not a music venue uh they have lots of live music there covers bands and stuff but it's not a venue as such there's no fixed installation stages or lighting so and the landlady there jan absolute legend i sort of said to her can i, can I put a gig on and she was like yeah go for it so i put five bands on all like alternative post-hardcore pop punk punk rock ska and it was mental we had just like mosh pits and attempted wall of deaths in this <laughs> small town pub like which 
I always use a reference like five hours before the first band went on there was like a couple of 90 year old women like eating soup of the day like where the drum kit was gonna go like it was just the most unrock and roll place ever to do this gig but I was like no we're gonna do it come on <laughs> yeah she was like yeah go for it and uh yeah we we played it and we ended up and yeah crowd surfers with a few light fittings ripped from the walls and it was hilarious it was so funny you know we got very drunk and we raised 400 pounds and we were like I was banging like how much fun was that? So we put £400 into my dad's pot for his fundraising for Kilimanjaro. And then I thought, um, do you know what? We should do that again. That was that was pretty, that was pretty fun. So uh, we have a town hall in Blanford called the, the Corn Exchange. And it's like a really baby version of the Guild Hall in Southampton in Blanford. And I was like, right, that's our Guild Hall. I'm going to do something in that venue. So I decided that I thought, I'm going to put an all dayer on, put a festival on. Why not? I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I don't know anything. So I was like, yeah, all right, screw it. We'll give it a go. And I, um, <laughs> I went and spoke to the town hall and I got it. And they're like, yeah, all right, you can have it for this much money. And I was like, Christ, I don't really, okay. So I put a post on Facebook saying, right, anyone want to come and play this gig for me? I want to raise some money, memory of Ted. Do some good for your children's cancer and it'll be a laugh sort of thing. And I put my headphones in and I walked 15 minutes down the road to work at the very pub where we did that first gig. So I was working behind the bar there at the time. And uh, I got to work and I had 45 bands <gasps> out in the space of 15 minutes. And I was like, all right. <laughs> okay, well, so it became a two-day festival. So we sort of like bypassed that one-day thing. It became a two-day festival. And we did it in this town hall and it was terrible. It was awful. We had no idea what we were doing. I didn't have, I didn't have a PA, didn't have nothing. So I went to the school and I just... Not I literally went to my old school and I was like, oh yeah, I must speak to the head of music. This guy from JP comes down. He's like, you're right. I was like, yeah, I want you to bring all of your PA, everything, and do some staging for me for this charity event. And he went, all right. So he brought like the kids down, the students down, and the students started using it towards their coursework. And this relationship built with me and him in the school, which was brilliant. And uh, yeah, we made about two and a half grand that first event. It was really bad. We had uh, we had no pit barrier. Not that we needed it because the crowd wasn't big enough, but my mates were like, I know where we can get some pit barrier. So I turned around about an hour later and I won't name the company, but a local water company, shall we say, who used bright orange barriers on roadworks to stop people going down the holes they dig. Uh, some of that barrier was acquired. So we had this, we had this stage in this town hall with very heavy duty road barrier. So... God only hopes that no one drove down a hole like <laughs> over that weekend, but we got away with it. So, it, and that was, that was the attitude. It was like, this is hilarious. Like how stupid can we make this? And let's, let's just do it. So yeah, we made two and a half grand and um, yeah, that we soon realized we probably shouldn't do it in that hall again. Uh, Cause it was the most surreal thing. Cause it was market day as well. So we had like all these, <laughs> all of the older lot, shall we say in Blanford marketplace, which is why I've lived there all my life. So I can say it, they're all there on a Saturday buying their socks and their fruit and veg and whatever bargains are on sale. And suddenly from nowhere, there's like 300 emo and goth kids <laughs> just loitering at the main marketplace with this like screaming amps coming out of this corn exchange. And the locals were just terrified. They were just, they just didn't know what was going on. And I kind of got a kick out of that. I thought that's funny. I was like, we've just made this thing happen in this sleepy little town. And um, so we thought, right, we'll take it back to the pub. We built a scaffold stage out the front of the pub. It's worth looking on our website because you'll see the organic growth. You'll see the pictures of that first scaffold stage and where we are now. And we built a scaffold stage and we made six and a half grand. It was a four day event the next year. Then the year after 
we invested in some black fabric so we made the stage like a stage and that was like a that was like a huge deal for us we're like we've got black fabric wow so we're there cable time is black fabric up and we made 15 grand and then we were like okay well this is ridiculous and then the year after we bought more banners and tried to make the stage look even better and made it a bit bigger and we made 20 24 grand um and it was just escalating it was nearly breaking the pub like so much so that the um <laughs> oh, horrible memory the sewage system from the pub was so blocked up that it was overflowing in part of the street because there were so many people there so i've just got this star band on stage and then behind i've got my friend climbing down into a sewer what a friend with a rod yeah trying to oh. yeah that all happens so there's a scar band playing loads of people at the front going mad and backstage there's this ever-rising swamp of shit and piss coming up with my mate in there in there retching with a pole and that was just the attitude of teddy rocks it was we're gonna just, we'll do whatever it takes it's hilarious and, and we, we yeah we made 24 grand and it got to the point where we were like we can't do that again we can't we can't do it at the pub so i just thought right we'll do it in the morrison's car park down the bottom literally 400 meters away we'll do it down there I have no idea what a temporary events notice is. I don't know what premises licensing is. I just thought if matey says I can use the car park, I could just put a gig on. And that was my attitude. And then um, <laughs> word got round of this guy trying to do this rock festival in the town. And um, the local authorities sort of reached out to me and said, oh, yeah, do, you, do you want to come for a chat? And I was like, yeah, no worries. Yeah, cool. So I turned up and I'll never forget the day I was introduced to premises licensing. And then I was like, right. And you know what? At the time, I was young and aggressive and I was angry and I was like, right, fuck you, I'm going to put the gig on. And I look back now and they're just incredible people. But at the time, I was like, they're just dickheads. And I met the head of licensing and he was like, right, I need to see your traffic management plan, lost children's policy, drugs policy, anti-terrorism threat policy, uh, noise management plan, crowd dispersal, evacuation, evacuation points, electrical safety, water hygiene, food safety certificates. How are you going to vet your food safety certificates? Where's the wastewater? Where's your grey water going to go? How are you going to get water to your suppliers? How many security are you going to have for every 100 people? They have to be SIA. What's your medical provisions? We are going to need at least two technicians, one paramedic for this amount of people. Oh uh, my God. As you can imagine, there's even more. I won't bore you, but I was sat there and I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No worries. Like, yeah, I can do that. I couldn't at all. And I, I must admit, I felt like crying. I remember I remember being in this room and you know when you get really wound up and you're just like, uh, I just didn't want to show any emotion, but I was going bright red. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went away and just started doing some research and was spending like 60 hours a week just reading online and ringing anyone I could. And me and a couple of mates started putting together this event safety management guide. And it was the worst document you've ever seen. And uh, yeah, and then I got invited to a, a safety advisory group, which is uh, a vol you don't have to go but it's a good thing to do where it's basically you sit in a room with the head of police, ambulance, fire, local authority, highways, all the big players basically. And they sit in a room and they just fire questions at you. And I was sat there on my own with my dad in this room. Um, and I was a firefighter at this point. So I had a little bit of knowledge, not much, but I had a little bit of an idea of some of the question, the style of questions I was being answered. And I bat them all off so much so that they were like, right, okay, we're going to give you a chance and and it was really stressful and then uh, I met a woman called Linda who does this full time she does this whole planning and stuff like that and she got on board and long story short we we went too big we, we couldn't get the car park uh, we just secured Don Broco to headline the Saturday night and suddenly we ended up in a field so it went from a pub to a field in the space of a year planning it designing it for the first time ever and successfully getting a premises license which was 
I could speak for about a day just on that process. It yeah, I can imagine. I spent five hours in the rain knocking on every single door in town, getting a petition signed, and then got told I can't use it because I appear threatening because I'm quite large with tattoos. <laughs> so they were like, and, and the, uh, the argument was, Tom, if you knock on someone's door and an old lady answers and you say, can you sign this for my rock festival? They're going to sign it, mate, because they're not going to. And I was like, what? I'm like a Labrador. I'm like a puppet. Like, and then, yeah, so it went on and on and on. And yeah, we got permission and we became a four day event in the field and we raised 43 grand. And that was it got told probably shouldn't do it there again because it's a floodplain which is never, never a good idea we got away with it we got lucky uh and then we moved to charitable farm which we are now we've been there ever since and i i was looking on google earth looking for venues of where i could put this festival and i'd sit on google earth and i'd find this i'd find a square field and i'd like there's road access i can see a road yes i get in my car i drive there and it would be like that steep because <laughs> obviously google earth is all flat so i'm like oh look at this perfect green field i'd get there and it's like, no, it's a <laughs> That's not gonna, no, I can't even walk up that, let alone drag a, a lorry up there. And uh, yeah, I just, I called this farm, Charlesworth Farm. And how do you, how do you ring someone and say, hi, you're right. Yeah. Um, can I put 5,000 people in your garden for three days, take three days to build it, run it and break it? Uh, probably for not much money. <laughs> and uh, I rang up and as soon as I said Teddy Rocks, the guy went, we love Teddy Rocks. Yeah. You actually supported one of the children in the family. Uh and it was like, right, okay, that's mad. Come up. So yeah, went up and the rest is history. We've been there. It's a beautiful site. And we are now a 5,000 capacity three-day camping event. We're going to have camper vans and caravans for the first time this year, but that'll wait till next year. Um, yeah, and the first year we are there, we raised uh, 76,000. Then the next year was 84,000. And then the last one we did was 107,000. So my God, pretty ridiculous. It's a, it's a long spiel, but it's one of those awkward stories where there's just no other way to explain it. Like, it is that ridiculous. It started in a pub raising 400 quid and now it's raised. It's know, huge. It's getting there. It's, it's not, it's got the potential to be huge. Yeah. It's, we just need help. That's, that's all. How big do you want it to go? I don't want it to be any bigger. I, I want it to be 5,000 cap, but I want it to sell out in advance every year. So every year we know we've got to sell out. That's the dream. The dream for me is that we we don't want to be, I've got no interest in growing it past that. I just want to have fifteen to 2,000 people camping, you know, like 1,500 to 2,000 people camping, maybe two or 300 motorhomes and stuff, and then the rest day tickets. And that's the dream. We don't want to be greedy, but if we do this well and we sell out to full capacity, we will be giving six figures away every year. Like, it's as simple as that. And that could be... 200,000 that could be 100,000 like if we sell out it will happen um and also if we did sell out the full capacity even if we lost all of our sponsors we would still be able to operate and give thousands of pounds away which is a dream so a bit of a security net there because right now literally what happens is we put the event on everything we raise we just go there you go charity there you go teddy 20 there you go there's all the money cool right we'll do it again next year oh it's bigger there's more cost it's <laughs> okay cool Right, so then I have to go to the charity. Right, can I use some money for cash flow to get it started? So we then borrow money from the charity. So the charity invests in the event. We make loads of money and then we give all the investment back plus all the profit. So the charity does incredibly well from it, but it's really stressful. Yeah. <laughs> if you have one year where we haven't had it, touch wood, like, but if you have one year where you don't make profit, the charity could lose its charitable status because the charity's putting its money into a rock fest. Do you know what I mean? So even though it's black and white and simple, we're putting a gig on to raise money for the kids. That's why we're doing it. Simple as that. That's all we want to do. 
let's talk about the Teddy 20 charity. What yeah. does it do? Like you've just said. Yeah, yeah. So Teddy 20 is the charity set up in memory of Ted. Um, they provide financial and emotional support to children fighting cancer and their families. So it could be could be anything that the child wants, you know, like when Ted was in hospital, if you came in and said, oh, Ted, we're going to give a thousand pounds to bone cancer research, he'd be like, all right. Or Ted, here is a massive telly in an Xbox. All right, now we're talking. Like, so, you know, it's got to be relative to that child. So that's what we do. So we fill that gap, really. So we do get, we do make donations. We have supported other charities with like researching bits and pieces in the past. We've sort of worked closely with them doing joint ventures. Um, we also provide sort of, yeah, just gifts really for at Christmas. We do a big Christmas shop and we go around the hospitals making sure that all the children in oncology get a personal present with their name on it and bits and pieces. Um, we've done some really cool stuff. We paid for flights for a family member to get from New Zealand back over here because of a terminally ill child and all the child wanted was to see that person. So, um, and also quite doom and gloom, but we do help with funeral expenses as well because they're incredibly expensive things to do especially for a child and especially when the parents can't work because of the child it's a horrible place to be in so we try and do all of that stuff and, and that's all credit that's my mum and dad and we've got an army of volunteers and a big board of trustees who make the decisions and where it goes I'm rubbish I, as soon as you put a kid in front of me I'm just an absolute melt I can't do it oh honestly it's pathetic actually yeah my mum and dad they're made of iron but I, I just can't do it so I put the gig on, I turn the cogs in the engine room, we'll make as much money as we can, there you go, you go and do some good stuff with it. And yeah. And they've also, they've got Ted's Lodge as well, which I was reading about, which yeah. is the best thing ever. Really cool, yeah, so it's yeah. So it's cool. it's, it's, it's called Ted Shack and it's in Weymouth and it's like a five-star luxury holiday resort in Weymouth and we basically send children away on respite holidays, so either through treatment or sadly for some of them sort of after treatment it's just a, a nice space where they can go and you know have some quality time to go and stuff because not all children are going to be fit enough to want to get on a plane and fly to america to disney world and stuff like you know i'm i'm fit and able and the thought of flying to disney world makes me knackered like so it's, it's not always a realistic viable option so we tried to make something which was easy for the families easy for the children and also it was really strategic we picked weymouth because of dorchester hospital so you can access Dorchester Hospital in um, a set amount of minutes. And they also have oxygen facilities at the park as well. So it's a lot of thought went into it and it's brilliant. Yeah. So we have we have sort of children and families going through there all through the summer months and bits and pieces like that. So it's pretty cool. Ah, it is cool. So you've got the Teddy 20 charity and the festival feeds into it because there's other stuff that happens too. There's like your sister has done loads of skydives and oh, she's off her head, yeah. heads. She's mad. Yeah, no. So yeah. So they do um, challenges. So we've had people do massive cycling events. We've had people yeah, climb mountains or jump out of planes. And every there's an annual skydive every year. So the charity is really busy with lots of stuff like that. Um, Teddy Rocks is like a subsidiary to it. It's basically me and my mates, we run a gig. We try and raise as much as we can and just give it all to Teddy 20, so to speak. So it's um, there's lots going on. It's a busy little... It really is. Uh, I think yeah, this is amazing. Really <laughs> like you said, over the years, you kind of start getting bigger and bigger. And then 2016, when the Hoosiers and Don Bronco got booked, so that was it. It just kind of exploded. Yeah. And last, oh, I say last year. No, because we've had two years off now, nearly. Um, Darkness. The Darkness and the Zootons were your headliners. Yeah. What are your favourite highlights from the festival over the years? Um, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, there is, it's, it's weird there's weird what moments stick in your in your head for me it was the festival before that when we had feeder amazing band and the loveliest people to work with it's always a bit scary when you 
get a headliner because uh, you never know how they're going to behave or what kind of characters you're going to deal with. We've been really lucky. They've all been fantastic. But Fida were exceptionally lovely. Um, they, had a, they had a song called Feeling a Moment and it was a Saturday. Uh, it was about half nine in the morning. So we had a couple of hours until gates opened and it was perfect sunshine, like the dream weather. In May, it was just the dream. We were like, that. oh, because, oh, yeah, you can plan it. And if it hammers it down, you're screwed, aren't you? So we knew we had we knew we knew had the weather all weekend. There was no mud. It was just perfect. The site looked great. And Fida were on stage sound checking, and it was all silent. I was just walking around the arena, and all of a sudden I heard Fida feeling the moment just go bang straight in. And then I looked over, and the whole campsite was just singing, like six, seven <laughs> people singing along to it. And I just thought, man, this is really cool. So I just sort of stood there with my like some of my mates just watching Feeder in this little town where we've grown up in, thinking, this is so silly. This is this is mad. That was a that was that was a real like I'll never forget that because it was just yeah, it just all came together. Obviously like at night when you've got the darkness playing I believe in a thing called love and we've got fireworks and we've got flames going off and all of that. Yeah, it's crazy, it's mental, but that's the show. And when you when you're playing music, that's that's the bit you do sort of thing. For me, it's more about seeing the event get built because I opened the gate of a farm on my own. I get there, look around and go, oh, bloody hell. Okay, right, let's put a gig on. And then my mates slowly turn up and then every day the crew gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then the event goes up. And when you watch it go up and then you watch it in action, that's the buzz, you know? So I think for me, that was probably probably the good bit for sure. For next year, 2022, because last week you literally just announced you're rolling yep. the festival for another year, which... As we know, a lot of festivals are at the minute. Downloads just done it. It's, everybody's doing it right now. Um, but you did have on the bill, Skin Dread. Are you able to kind of roll the same people over? Are you having to change the lineup a bit? Um, I can't say too much yet. But on the main stage, I'd say we've managed to keep 99% of the lineup. That's good. I'd say, roughly. It's okay. good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. All right. We've got, we've got we've got a slot. We've got one slot which we're work, actually working on. We're speaking today about which we're trying to pin down. But yeah, we're looking we're looking really good and really healthy. So it will be our best lineup. Does um because obviously as well as the pandemic, we've actually had to deal with Brexit as well, and that's also oh, yeah. affected the music industry. Ideal. <laughs> I know it's a great time. <laughs> it's a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Has that had any impact yet yeah. on your festival? Absolutely. So we. The dream is that we cover every single cost through sponsors, so local businesses or national businesses. Anyone who wants to get involved um, can make a donation towards the costs. You know, they can they can give us money for advertisement, so they can sponsor the main stage or the, the, our main sponsor is a company called OnBuy.com, who are based in Pool. Um, so you'll notice that OnBuy is branding all of our logos. They give us a, an amazing amount of money just to really make the event sort of get to where it needs to be. Uh, and in return, we give them branding and, and it's like a partnership, so to speak. So we have lots of different sponsors in different areas of, of the festival. Brexit comes along and we lost maybe £30,000 in sponsors because a lot of businesses just struggled, hit a wall. We've got one sponsor who a lot of what they do is manufactured in Europe. So when we didn't, when they didn't know what was going on, they ended up putting all of their cash flow into their product to get it made, to get over here. So they've got stock. And then they're now sat with loads of stock. So until they sell their stock. So, so it's amazing the knock-on effect that people can sort of experience through Brexit. Some some smaller companies that we um, we had support from have packed up and moved back to Europe. So, yeah, like we were hit really hard with Brexit, actually. It caused us a lot of stress. And then obviously COVID came along, which was just ideal, really, at the same time. The cherry <laughs> so, on the top. Oh, it's just, you know, there was a point where it was just like, 
come on, like, what have you got? Let's have it. Like, whatever. Like, I will go out there and I will headbutt a meteorite if it means I get this gig on. I don't care. Come on. I'm not scared. What can possibly go wrong now? And it's just that attitude of whatever. <laughs> but yeah, mad, really. Just incredibly unfortunate and heartbreaking for so many people in the industry and so many events and so many people that work in music and or tourism or anything like that. It's just been oh, it's rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because your festival is like, it's one of kind of the first festivals of the year, really, because you are end of April, beginning of May weekend. You must have been last year all set, ready to go for 2020. And then the pandemic hit in March. Yeah. Do you remember the point where you realised you were going to have to cancel the festival? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was awful. But what I will say is, we were five weeks away from. I think no, we're about four and a half. Yeah, five weeks away from starting to build the festival. So, although it's really unlucky that the pandemic hit five weeks away, and we could have gone ahead, and it would have been great, and then gone into lockdown. If I'd have spent two weeks building a festival with Harris Fencing with my mates to be told it's not happening there would have been a war because <laughs> honestly yeah that's not fun uh so although it was really close and we were set to go like we were i was getting to the point now where things were starting to arrive on my doorstep for passes and, and wristbands you know all the tangible stuff was starting to arrive so once a year my flat just becomes this mad cardboard haven of just stuff um and that was starting to happen but yeah i do remember i went i actually went out the last show I watched actually in Swindon, I took it some some of the older boys from work who are obsessed with a band called The Jam and uh, who from The Jam, which has got Bruce Foxton, actually played Teddy Rocks in 2016. They were playing in Swindon, which is where we're, we're based. So I made a phone call and we went down there and, and had a night out with them. And that was March the 13th. Uh, and that was the last gig I went to. And it was that night I knew because it was the weirdest vibe in that venue. It was half empty, even though it was nearly sold out people were behaving differently and the pressure was mounting, the news was mounting. And I just thought, oh, I tried to fight it for three weeks or so. And then it was just like, yeah, it's not going to happen, is it? So yeah, it was a horrible moment, horrible, sad moment. But I think once you announce stuff and you make that decision, it does get easier to deal with, but it's that, it's that bit leading up to it. So like announcing this week has obviously made us all feel a bit better because we've known for a while, obviously, but we've sort of, we'd, we'd hold out as long as we can just so people can see that we really are actively trying everything we can to put it on but we're not legally allowed to happen so if you're not legally allowed to have an event how can we put an event on so it's, it's our hands are tied and even if we were legally allowed is, is it a responsible thing right now to do it you know we've got to put in a lot of the people that come to the festival bring children that are going through chemotherapy because it's do you know what i mean so we've got to keep these little people safe as well so there's so many moving parts so making the announcement and just being like right you know what have some breathing space we move in yeah once it's out there you you do sort of get at peace with it. But yeah, sad to have to do it. Yeah. Did you think about moving it to later in the year? Like when we got that roadmap out of yeah, lockdown and we saw I like Isla White Festival has moved mm -hmm. down to September. Did you can think about that? I did. So last year we tried that. So last year we didn't postpone it a year. We pushed it back six months to September. Um, and obviously couldn't go ahead again this year. We are an absolute house of cards because Teddy Rocks is run by so many people that give so much for so little because they just believe in the cause. If one major contractor who does an insane, for example, we've got like £25,000 worth of marquee hire at our event and we pay five grand for it. That's incredible, right? So, I mean, that's phenomenal. Um, a company called Oakleaf Marquees just support us and back us every year. They're booked up for weddings fully in September. So 
suddenly we would have to fork out an extra 15 grand of what we're used to just to get the same as where we are. Just that one contractor not being able to do it alone causes a problem. Then you've got electrical, you've got water, you've got staging, you've got lighting, you've got effects, security, medical. Everyone's moving their events to September and they're paying premium price for it. We're a charity begging and blagging and stealing all the time. These companies have got to put food on the table because they've not been able to work for so long. So I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to put the pressure on the companies. I'm not even going to make people make that difficult decision to have to tell us they can't help. So we will just go back to next year and hopefully, fingers crossed, there have been a few festivals delivered this year, which means people are back in the rhythm of it. And then next year, we can really smash it. So That, that cool. makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Who would you like to see at your festival in the future? If you could like make your dream lineup, who would you have on their headlining? Oh, a day to remember all day long. Oh, yeah. okay. That's, that's the, oh yeah. Can you imagine that? From a selfish point of view, there's bands that I really want to bring down and stuff. But obviously, I would love to bring someone like Biffy Clyro. Someone that is just massive, they're everywhere. We just need that one band to take a chance on this. I've always said it and I've always joked, but I've always said if, if I met Dave Grohl in a bar for 10 minutes, I reckon he'd play it because he'd, he'd be like, this is mad what you're doing. It's all your bunch of mates. It's ridiculous. We'll come and help you out. But unfortunately, it's, it's not as easy as that. There's a lot of people and things to go through to get people in places. But yeah, I would, I would love to get... I would love to get someone like that. Just someone that's ridiculously huge to be like, we'll come, yeah, we'll come play a gig for you, mate. Someone who's so big that playing a gig for us isn't going to affect any of their touring or anything. But uh, it's just trying to find those right people. But we've been super lucky with the acts we have got. And I think every year we're getting more and more established names from top to bottom. Now it's not so much just the big name at the top. We're starting to slowly, that main stage is coming down and it's just really really good acts all, all the way down sort of big acts with a draw so hopefully hopefully we'll get there you never know like I, I was saying I was looking at the lineup over the years you're right it's getting bigger is it you booking it is it you that's saying I want this guy and this guy who is it how much say do you get so obviously Dom uh he's my right hand man we do the lineup so stage one two and three is me and Dom so we we do that together so we're like an old married couple we have a spreadsheet on a google drive because we're geeks and we'll put ideas out. Like today, right now, I, I sent him an aggressive WhatsApp probably half an hour ago about a bunch of bands that we might have. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it's completely our say. It's, it's me, and, me and Dom do choose what to do and where to go. Um, it's trying to find bands that are going to sell tickets because we need to raise money. The whole point of this festival is to raise money. So we want to find a band that's going to have a big enough draw to sell tickets to raise the money. But for me, it's also about giving opportunities to bands locally who never get that break being in a band myself like it's brutal and it's all about who you know it's the whole game is who you know not what you know as it is with some and the amount of bands that you see pop up who have been about for five minutes and suddenly start landing arena support tours because of how connected they are it annoys the hell out of me when there are bands out there who are working incredibly hard to do something who don't get the recognition so for me part of those stages needs to have bands that i feel are working really hard and are brilliant and they deserve to be on a lineup to have a bit of a showcase. So it's that balancing act between, right, let's get as big a names as we can to sell as many tickets as we can, get as much excitement. And it's a real honour to have these names on our bill. And at the same time, let's let's give some bands the opportunity to be on the same bill as that band and let's give them a bit of a springboard and let's help out sort of thing. And a lot of younger kids as well. Like we do have some really young bands come and play as well. And I think it's really, really important to, to give them a slot. Um, and we also work with the Click Sergeant Music Programme, which is another uh, children's cancer charity. They have a music programme 
where they teach kids instruments and stuff. So we actually have quite a few performers on some of the smaller stages from the kids that have been through treatment who have had help from charities actually come and play the gig. So there's a real massive mix. You've got these big headliners turning up on tour buses and trailers and all sorts. And then you've got the kids that were trying to help who have gone through recovery now performing on one of the stages. And then in the middle, you've got local bands, bands that have been working really hard. It's such a beautiful balance. It's really hard to give everyone a, a fair shot at that, for sure. That's awesome. Your festival's been picked up by like Kerrang! magazine and things like that, reported on Loudwire. And then we see the festivals, the big ones, like Rambling Man, Download, Steelhouse, Stone Dead, all those. Do you class your festival in the same kind of bubble as those ones? No, I, I really don't. Like, I think we are a very unique festival. And I think, to me, I still don't even feel like a real festival because of how ridiculous it is. On paper, absolutely. Our, our production on our stages can compete with some of the real big festivals because... The people that work those big festivals are bringing the kit to us. You know, it's as simple as that. It's all friends that I've met through touring, through the industry that hear the story and go, I want to help. I want to help. And that's why you look at our pitches. Our main stage production is better than a lot of 20, 30, 40,000 cap festivals, hands down. And the only reason it is is because we're not paying for it. These people are donating it and bringing it. And every year I have a conversation with Liam. He goes, yeah, I'm going to bring 15 flamethrowers. And it's like, right, cool ah okay uh, that's great <laughs> um let's just be a bit careful with that Liam especially being a firefighter that would be the most incredible headline ever local firefighter charity music festival burns to the ground because they try to compete with Ramstein so <laughs> like and that, and that you know so we just need the support from these events we don't want to be seen as competition because we're not at all we can't compete we can't compete with these festivals we don't have the marketing budgets we are just a goodwill we're a festival that's doing a good thing Mm. and the industry needs to not look at us like a commercial event because we're not we're just a group of a huge army of people who volunteer an unbelievable amount of time and equipment to put it on there needs to be the same support from the industry and we're really lucky that we've got a lot of contractors and suppliers who do get that message uh, and now it's just about trying to get into those big agents in london and trying to get that same relationship that's our next goal because we build that relationship they see what we're trying to do let's get those big names to come down and play there is, a, I, just, there is a band, I won't name them because I'll probably get hung, but there is a band I tried to get and I had a conversation with the agent and they came back and they went, oh, Tom, love what you're doing. Really, really cool. Um, but you're just not at our level yet. But keep trying. What? And my reply was, yeah, but you do realise if you play my festival, then we will automatically be at your level overnight. Yeah. And he was like, he was completely stumped. I said, you're saying we're not at your level. We'll come and play it and then we will be because you'll be our benchmark for headliners, won't you? I said, our production is better than your normal touring production. Our staging is better than your normal headline UK shows. So why not come and do it? And it just completely stumped him. I won't name the band, but yeah, it really annoyed me. It really annoyed me that, you know, we just need the big bands now to be like, we're going to go and do Teddy Rocks. We're going to go and do our charitable deed for the year and we're going to help out there. And the more that spreads the more good we can do. It's as simple as that, really. We've got all the ingredients. We just need, we need the support. And you can see by the lineup, we're starting to get that support in the right areas. And it's really exciting to see how it is developing. So fingers crossed it keeps developing that way. Did that band play yet? No. Not yet. All right. Never okay. will. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a joke. I would absolutely snap the hand off. <laughs> Even though they're rude. Yeah. Um, 
because next year, 2022, it's still going to be your 10th anniversary, really. Yeah. Even though it's just been rolled on a bit. Do you have anything special planned to celebrate that? Um, in truth, no. <laughs> in truth, we just want to survive and we want to put on the best festival we can. And we, we treat every every festival we've ever done, we've treated like our 10th. You know what I mean? There's, there's no... There's just no more effort we can put into it. Like we literally, every single festival we've delivered has been 400% of this is what we can do. And every year it gets better because more people see what we do, more people offer help, support. And also we get more experience. Every time you build a festival, you learn a lot of lessons. You know, something that took three days to do on the first build, we can now do in half a day because we've learned, you just evolve and you you get better. So yeah, it's going to be our best festival yet. It's going to look amazing. It's going to sound amazing. It's going to be our best lineup yet. And it's going to be our busiest yet because I truly believe that everyone is going to buy tickets and come to it because they're going to want to see it survive. And, and it, it is, it's down to the ticket holders now. It's down to the public. Like Teddy Rocks will be here forever if people buy tickets and come. There's nothing else we can do. We don't have the marketing budgets that these big festivals, we just don't have it. We haven't got 50 grand to go and spend on social media. We don't have, don't have that at all. We've got like 20p. So like it's, we are relying on word of mouth and, and just getting around and getting support, you know. And we put all of our money into the production and the bigger names because we want to get that draw. We want to be known as a festival that takes its production and line up really seriously. So who knows? Who knows what we might be able to put together between now and then. I'm sure something cool will come up. All right. Let's just talk for a couple of minutes about the bottom line, which is the band that you're in, which is like an old school punk band. Because when I Google you, obviously everything about Teddy Rocks comes up. And then I see this tiny little article about this little band that got stuck in a hurricane or some storm in America. Oh my God. I was like, what? So basically you're in this punk band. You're a guitarist. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a bit, we're called the bottom line. Um, yeah. We're signed to Marshall Records. Uh, we've been really fortunate since 2016. We've pretty much been touring non-stop. So we've been touring with um, Simple Plan, The Offspring, Waterparks, Zebrahead, Goldfinger. Some really, really cool names. It's great. It's great fun. We've we released an album year before last now. Yeah, God, this pandemic's thrown me miles out, which was great. Which you know we're coming up to like two million plays on that on Spotify, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, we, we love it. We've We've got a, a tour in a European tour booked, which keeps getting postponed, which is really annoying because it's looking like it's going to be a really good one. And uh, yeah, we're working on, we've just got a second album deal with Marshall. So we're just working on new material for that and just want to get back at it. Yeah. How do you fit that in as well as doing like a thousand writing <laughs> jobs and putting on a festival? How do you have the time? Everyone always says this and it cracks me up again because the honest answer is I don't know. Everyone's like, how do you do that? And I'm like, honestly, I'm winging it. I, every day is a wing. Trust me. I have no idea. But what I will say is that the watch that I'm on at my station, I mean, talk about landing on your feet. Uh, my watch manager is the only person in the whole fire service that's got a Blink-182 tattoo on his arm. So, Oh, I mean, my yeah. God. <laughs> that's why you're based up there. Uh, yeah, when he came across my watch, he was like, you're the band guy. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but the fire service are incredibly accommodating. Like, you know, they've been amazing. They've let me have time off a tour and they've really supported it. Like we did a that thing you say about the hurricane. We did a, what was it, 76-day tour on the road. Yeah, and we did two weeks in China, we did America, Canada, all of Europe and UK. And we, we just didn't sleep or eat for about 76 days. And yeah, we, we got to America, which was the dream. It was us, simple plan, patent pending, and set it off before we went into Canada. 
and we landed in Houston. Yeah, landed in Houston the day of Hurricane Harvey, which was oh, such a giggle. Yeah, we're just English, aren't we? We don't take anything seriously. And what what weather do we ever get here? Do you know what I mean? Like a hurricane, we're like whatever. Earthquakes, it's not a thing. We were in China and we avoided an earthquake by twelve hours, so that was quite scary. Anyway, we landed in Houston. On our way to Houston, that was it. And we were at a stopover in Seattle. Uh, and we've literally just flown straight from Prague where we played a show with The Offspring. It was all very rock and roll. We were like all just caught up in it. It was mad. And we sat there eating this massive American burger because obviously that's the first thing you do when you land in America. And the news comes on and it was like uh, Houston in full evacuation, worst hurricane in 47 years. And we're there reading it. It's <laughs> just not even bothered because our flight was still on. So we're like, oh, that looks bad. Where are we going? We're going to Houston. Mm, okay. We should probably pay attention to that. But the flight went ahead. So we thought it can't be that bad. Turns out we were the last commercial flight to land in Houston. We land in an airport the size of Heathrow, completely empty. All you could hear was a squeaky trolley wheel from our guitar cases. Uh, and we were like, oh my God, this isn't good. And the van that was taking us on this next six weeks of touring was meeting us at the airport. And uh, we got to the venue, we saw the Simple Plan guys, we saw the tour manager, and they were like, look, Coldplay, they're playing in Houston tonight in the outdoor stadium. If their show goes ahead, we're going to be fine. We're playing the House of Blues, 3,000 cap. So if they're going ahead, we're going to be fine. So we dropped all our gear off and we're like, look, we need to get some food. I need to get some stuff for our guitars because they've been a bit battered on the flight. So we're like, we're going to find a guitar store and we'll be back. Hour later, we get a phone call from the tour manager. In exact words, we're get the fuck out of Houston now. Oh, no. We were like, really? It goes, yeah. In actual fact, just, just get out now. It goes, guys, because we've talked to them a few times. They're like, guys, this isn't a joke. We know you don't take most seriously. We know you're indestructible, but you need to leave. We're all packing up and we're going now. So that was a Friday. The next day was a Saturday and we were playing a venue called Emo's in Austin, another big show. So we all agreed, right, let's just drive to that venue today to get away from the hurricane. At least we're, we're there for tomorrow. We've, we're safe. We've got a whole day off. So we drive to Austin and uh, we get there and you can see the, you can physically see the hurricane in the sky. It's <gasps> It's unreal. It's like those crazy documentaries. It was happening for real. And we were like, this is mad. Uh, anyway, it turns out that the road we drove out of Houston on three hours later was 14 foot underwater. Oh, my God. And is that luck or is that judgment? It's complete fluke. We're very naive. We're idiots. We got very lucky. Uh, the Austin show got cancelled. So then the exact words were not get out of Houston. It was get the fuck out of Texas. Just go. Yeah. So we had a show in three days time in Flagstaff and we just head to the Grand Canyon. So we just drove for four days pretty much straight yeah finally got to flagstaff we lost three show fees all our merch sales and we're an independent band at this time we had nothing we literally were in america in a van with nothing and uh, played a show in flagstaff it was great next day we're playing the brooklyn bowl sold out show in vegas doesn't get much better than that so we're thinking this is the best day of our lives so we do a photo shoot which is our album cover of a van broke down and we faked that photo shoot on the way to flagstaff thinking it was funny on the way to Vegas in 40 degrees in the desert, the van catches fire whilst we're driving with us in it. <laughs> and we pull over and I just remember just full on bossy firefighter mode. Just went, get out now, go. <laughs> just went straight into work mode, throwing all these guitars at the van. So we're in this desert with no one around. This van is smoking, guitars, flight cases flying onto the road. Just go now, come on. Yeah, the battery exploded in the heat. No. Uh, and it was written off. Yeah, so long story short, I went and hitchhiked <laughs> and they were like, shut up. And I was like, no, what we're going to do, we're in a desert, guys. We're 80 miles away from Vegas. If we miss this show, we're going to lose the next six weeks of touring. We won't catch up. We're getting to Vegas. So 
I went about 100 meters away and just I remember the exact moment I went oh. <laughs> and I put my thumb out and I just thought oh this is either genius or ridiculous and within half an hour we had three cars stop so friendly over there and as soon as they hear you're British they're just they're all over it and uh, this pickup truck pulls over classic pickup truck out gets a woman and a guy in dungarees just you can't write it it's just unbelievable she gets underneath the van with a lump hammer and starts hitting it and goes yeah she's fucked <laughs> Uh, and it was just like this can't get weirder and then they went where do you need to where, where are you heading we we're like we need to get to vegas with all this equipment so they said right get in the van they had a big um pickup truck open back pickup truck with a trailer we put all of the equipment in an open back trailer with no tailgate on it and then we're like we can't fit in the truck they went just jump in the back it's legal here so we've got three and three sat in the back of a pickup truck looks like we we're on a job <laughs> uh, and we drove 80 miles over the hoover dam in the bed of a pickup truck with all of our equipment in a farm trailer and every sort of 10 minutes, we'd get our bassist Max to stand up. We'd hold him up and he'd get his phone and he'd take a selfie over him to make sure that he could see our equipment, to make sure it hadn't fallen out on the road. So, oh, my God. And we were four minutes late for soundcheck and we finished the whole tour. So, <laughs> Oh, it's one of those things yeah. where you wish you had a camera crew following you. We, it's our biggest regret to this day is that we wish we didn't have a videographer doing the whole thing because... There's a really cool documentary. Like they've got, they've got the Vans Warp Tour, uh, No Room for Rockstars, uh, which our good friend Joe from Forever Came Calling, they're the band that are selling their CD to the queues and and hitchhiking to shows pretty much. And then in the end, they finally get offered to play Warp Tour. It was that just nitty gritty on the ground level. We we were at that level for that time and we're gutted we don't have any videos of it because <sighs> it's just surreal. <laughs> but we survived. I had a great time. So look back on it now, it was amazing. But at the time, slightly daunting but if you look on the album that's why it's called no vacation so the album called no vacation and it's written about what it's actually like being in a van and there's a picture of us faking the van breaking down and then literally 17 hours later that van really did break down so don't ever don't ever tempt fate <laughs> so like you said you, you're going to be touring germany hopefully at some point um yeah. when the pandemic starts moving along the question is have you played your own festival we do yeah so oh you yeah, do? We do we do so the, I joined the bottom line in 2015. The bottom line, when I put out that message saying, does anyone want to come and play this festival for me? Cal from the bottom line was the first person to message me and said, oh, we'll bring all of our backline, all of our amps, our drums, everything will help out. So the bottom line played 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. And then a month after that festival, they asked me to join. They went from a three-piece to a four-piece and they wanted a lead guitarist. So it just happened really quickly. And then I've been touring with them and, best mates ever since but they were one of the reasons Teddy Rock took off they, if it wasn't for them we wouldn't have had any equipment so it's a lovely relationship with Teddy Rocks in the bottom line and I made a deal to them in 2015 I was like you'll play Teddy Rocks every year and if the bottom line ever does well you've got to come back and play for me for free and if Teddy Rocks ever gets massive I'll always give you a good slot and we shook hands on that so it's really quite a funny deal so every every year we have to play and we have all our friends and family it's a proper mates fest and it's a really great show every year and people really look forward to it because I think it's, we're the ones building the festival. Like me and Callum are in that field for weeks, you know, and Max comes and gets involved and Matt and our tour manager, our whole touring crew all come and get involved with the festival. So it's quite a special show for us every year. So we're, we're actually going to, we're going to headline the second stage um, next year and sort of put a bit of a, bit of a show on and hopefully it'll be pretty good. Where can we get tickets for Teddy Rocks for next year? 
everything is at teddyrocks.co.uk. So every, all your all the questions you may have or anything you want to know, it's all on that website. So everything's on there, tickets, links, information, what we've got coming, all our updates, and obviously on our socials as well, which is just Teddy Rocks Fest uh, on Instagram and on Facebook as well. The Road to Rock. Fishbowl Roulette. Right, let me do a couple of these with you and then I shall let you get back to being on call. Okay, so <laughs> warn you, there's a porn star one in here. Excellent. Oh, it's the first one I've pulled out. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. The what porn star name? Star name, yeah, which is first pet and road name that you grew up on. Love this. Like, this is quite a common conversation to have. First one. Yeah. My, my porn name, so you do first pet and... I do first pet and road name, but I know there's different ones. So whatever you want to do. I'd be Nipper Barnes. <laughs> How good's that? <laughs> What's yours? Mine is um, Cleo Lydgate, which is wow. where Cleo works really well. Nipper. Who was Nipper? Nipper Barnes. He's a big deal with the boss. <laughs> was that a dog or a cat? Or a... Please tell me it was like a hamster. A... He was a flat coat retriever, which is sad, really, because now every time I think of Nipper, I think of porn stars. But yeah, it's kind of ruined I that. Mean, I know. I did. That's what happens. And that first street I grew up on playing Kirby is now a porn star name. It's really sad. <laughs> I always panic with that one, especially like with who I'm interviewing, because some yeah. really don't take it well. <laughs> oh, there's absolutely no fit one here. I can assure you. <laughs> Thank God for that. This one is the rock star you miss the most. So either they've passed away or they're just not in the industry anymore. Oh, that's a good question. I think it'd be Malcolm Young from ACDC. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I'm a massive ACDC fan. I was really lucky to see them in 2010. But obviously, he's passed away now. And since then, they've had like they had the whole Axl Rose thing. And I'd love to see ACDC back sort of full line up. But yeah. That's a good one. He's a god. He is. Uh, this one is who or what really gets on your nerves? <laughs> Oh, I love moaning. Uh, <laughs> I really hate, I really hate people who think they're like super brilliant. You know, the ones that just like. Arrogant. Oh, that arrogant, horrible, that really pisses me off. Like, and unfortunately, in when you do musical events, it's just full of that. <laughs> There's a load of wonderful people, but there is a small percentage of proper rock stars, shall we say, and it's just tragic. Some of the messages I get on Facebook from bands. Really? Oh, yeah. Trying to sell themselves, telling me that you need me. You need me to play this. You need me to do that. Oh, yeah. That's what annoys me. (laughs) Everyone should just be nice and lovely and just have a good time. There should be no... Well, that's what rock music is about. I know. the thing. I interviewed Nathan James last week from Inglorious, and um, he actually said, like, he's had death threats, and he was saying (laughs) the rock music world is everyone who was a reject at school. It's everyone that got bullied for having long hair, looking a bit weird, going all goth. And he was like, how in this industry can people still do that when they know how it feels? And I was like, my God, you're right. That's so true. That is so true. I've been super lucky. I've I've been really lucky. I've met some of my absolute heroes. I've actually become friends with some of my absolute reasons that I'm in a band, which is surreal. There are some really lovely, wonderful people out there. But it's just a real shame when you meet some people that just you just think oh there's some bands that i used to listen to all the time which i just can't even listen to anymore and that's really sad when you've got that album you grew up with that you love and then you never want to listen to it because you're like 
he was a right dick. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's my, oh, just, just be nice. Just be friendly to everyone. Just be, just be cool. That's it. Remember where you are. Like just they, you know, there's always someone bigger and stronger than you out there. So stop being a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> um, appropriately, this one is, when have you been the most starstruck and with who? Ah, oh, I'm too scared to say it because I speak to him quite <laughs> Oh, uh, friends I now. Lie. I might lie, actually. I'll make a lot. No, for, for me, starstruck, um, that's a really good question. Oh, I want to give the right answer here. My favourite band ever were, were Funeral for a Friend. Like, they were just, like, everything to me. And my old band were very lucky. In 2012, we were main support to them, which was just surreal. That was that was a big deal to me because you can meet famous people and like I have met a lot of famous people through different walks of life and stuff I'm not really bothered but um yeah meeting the funeral for a friend guys for me was huge because like I remember being uh 16 and skipping college and getting on the train and then sitting outside the steps of Southampton Guildhall for 10 hours I mean who does that like I look back now and I'm like oh show tonight sweet I'll head down our doors are six well I'll get there for six then like but back then like going to a show was like they must know my commitment. They must, they must see me sat on this concrete step, miserable, because that means they know that I'm going to be their best friend. Uh, it's really weird. Uh, but yeah, we used to do that, didn't you? You used to get the shows hours and hours early. It's just a thing. And you, and, you know, kids still do it, which is, I think is adorable because we were all there. But yeah, like they were, they were heroes to me. So like, meeting them was just like, to me, that's like the biggest deal ever. But I, you know, I could name some of the guys from funeral to people I work with and they never heard of them yeah but i was more stoked about meeting them than i would have been meeting like britney or someone <laughs> exactly <laughs> um okay you've got two more this one is what is your guilty pleasure oh easy i love terrible pop music oh really you oh my britney. god yeah venga boys like let's have it yeah i just love it any oh, terrible yeah that's a whole different level <laughs> i really hate that i said venga boys first uh yeah any like really bad 90s and like noughties pop oh i just love it now 45 is the best <laughs> best album ever like put together let's just hits on that oh yeah a bit of gabrielle bit of backstreet boys oh, Lord. oh i'm i've got this really bad alter ego when i'm drunk i made this playlist on spotify and when i'm drunk i call it tom's school disco and i'll take over whatever <laughs> what well, it's really bad whatever speaker on the t- if you're on a tour bus i'm like right i'm dj and it's just it's just trash but i love it and everyone loves it that's the thing everyone they won't admit it but when they're drunk and you put this playlist on a bangers they go mad so yeah <laughs> terrible pop music i fucking love it oh my god that's amazing uh your last one is what was your first concert my first proper gig was green day bullet in the bible at milton Keynes. Bloody hell! Oh, that's yeah, because like you know, I lived in Blanford, so there was no, there was no train station, there was no venues, and none of my mates at school were into music. So it's like literally me, my mate Brett, and Fenton and Lee. Like we had this little club of people that were into the whole like alt things, and I'll never forget it. Yeah, when yeah, uh, Milton Keynes, MK Bowl, sixty five thousand people. It was Hard Fight, um, who were quite big at the time. They had that Cash Machine song. But then I'm so annoyed because it was Taking Back Sunday and Jimmy Eat World. And I didn't know them when I was there. Like, I found them at that gig. And they're now, like, two of the most influential bands on me. Taking Back Sunday and Jimmy Eat World are, like, 
amazing. I'm so annoyed I only knew one song when I saw them that gig, so loads of regrets. But that's how you get into it, isn't it? That's how you find stuff. But yeah. Yeah, I started quite late. I think I was 16. No, maybe young. Yeah, 15 maybe. Yeah, but ah, oh, what a gig. And I got super lucky because they, they released the live like DVD of the whole thing. So my first ever gig is actually this really cool DVD. So I get to relive it every now and then, which is cool. That is amazing. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining oh, me on Road to Rock. No, thank you for having me. And yeah, no, I, I appreciate all the support. And yeah, like I said, just buy tickets. Come to Teddy Rocks. The Road to Rock. Thank you to Tom Newton from Teddy Rocks Festival for joining me on this week's episode of The Road to Rock. If you'd like to hear more episodes or catch up on any you may have missed, go to theroadtorock.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Road to Rock radio show on Hot Radio is back this Wednesday, 9pm GMT. You can listen online at hot.radio or on FM 102.8 and DAB across the south coast of England. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter under The Road to Rock.